Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Got a great hour coming up. Ward Brem's going to be joining us in studio here. Excited to talk to Ward. He's uh, written a great book called Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. Say, if you would like to get into the drawing for He Reads Truth Bible, which is a gorgeous Bible. I'm looking at one right now in the studio is head to our uh, myfaithradio.com webpage and it pops up right on the screen to enter I think we're giving one away a week all through the month. And if you get in the drawing, and if you get lucky enough to win one, you're going to be one happy camper, because this is a nice Bible, and it's got big margins, and it's got places where you can write notes, and all kinds of great stuff. So I'm looking at Psalm 55, verse 22. It says, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. So Put your cares on the Lord, whatever you got going today, particularly if it's carried over from the weekend and there's a heaviness that you've you've brought into Monday, just let's give it over to the Lord, surrender, cast your cares on him. We're going to take a little break and be back with Ward Bremen Studio. have um, in studio Ward Brem, who's a friend, and I've known him since I think I've been seven or eight years old. So we go way back, and he is uh, an amazing guy with an incredible story. He wrote a book called Bigger Than Me, just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. And last night I was at my family's house for dinner, and we're all sitting around, and my brother-in-law Tom says, well, why don't we try to have this discussion that just... He even goes a little deeper, and he said, so what are you trusting God for now, for the next week or month or year, that only he can do? It was so interesting, all the responses around the family table. It seemed that the recurring theme was, God, what do you have next for me? There's that time in life when you're sort of feeling a little transitional or you feel like you're not sure what God has on your plate uh, for your next chapter or season of life. So it got to be a very lively discussion. And I thought, boy, there's probably no better person than to be part of this conversation than Ward Brem, because he pretty much wrote a book about it. And uh, I'm always glad to have him back and see him once again. Ward, welcome back. Thanks. Wonderful to be here. Yeah. A pretty intriguing question, isn't it? Yeah. It's a fascinating question. It's one I asked myself when I was 40 years old, you know, woke up thinking that I had everything, but there was this feeling of, I'm going to describe it as smoldering discontent. There was something missing. And I had everything that I'd hoped to have in terms of business goals mm-hmm. and so forth and wonderful, lovely family, living the life, and there was something missing. And uh, it was a turning point in my life. 
it's no surprise, is it, that you can reach certain levels of success in business and and feel like you're respected in the community and people think you're a big deal and deep down you go, eh. (laughs) you know, I I feel empty. Something's not right. Stephen Covey put it pretty well. You're climbing the ladder of success, but it's leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah, that was the case with me. Yeah. So when we got into this lively discussion last night, it did make me think of you because you have gone down that road. You've pondered all kinds of questions. And one of the responses by one of my brother-in-laws was that he and my sister were thinking about maybe doing some missionary work. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. Um, And you've been to Africa how many times? I just got back from my 50th trip. Okay. Was 50th the charm? (laughs) It was. It it reminded me of how old I'm getting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you go what nineteen times a year, so you're still only fifty six. Well, we're you know we're averaging you know we're averaging two or three times a year. We're going mostly to Eastern Congo. Okay, now. but we're, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a regular customer at KLM. Okay, let's talk about how that whole thing started. Uh, your whole um, interest in going to Africa, and did you go willingly the first time? Did you? Were you excited about it? No, you... I was totally unwilling. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I figured that'd be the no case. I had no idea. I was too busy. I was too busy living the life. Right, and, yeah. And uh, I was at church one day. I'd, I'd been contemplating a book called uh, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. I'd read it not to learn anything, just to make sure you had them all right. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> this notion of paradigms that you and I could see the exact same set of facts and have a completely different interpretation, but ten, you know, depending on your worldview. Right. I was really intrigued by that. And Somalia was in the news. There are countless uh, Africans dying of starvation. It didn't mean anything to me. Uh, but I wondered if I were to see somebody starve to death, it would probably change my paradigm on starvation. You know, can you change your worldview on purpose? And that just intellectually came in and out. And a week later, Arthur Rauner, my pastor of many years, who confirmed me when I was in my juvenile delinquent stage, (laughs) asked me to go to Africa. Mm -hmm. And I remember to this day looking him right in the eye and saying, absolutely not. And he said, would you pray about it? And I said, you're the minister. You pray about it. I'll think about it. I'll either go or I won't. I had no idea what he was talking about. And... uh, Three months later, I was on the plane that changed my life. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, you must have had that experience when you were there watching someone starve, someone being so hungry, being without the resources that came so readily and easily to guys like you and me. Right. Yeah, we we need it's common knowledge to be careful what you pray for, but I my, the breaking point was in Masaki, Uganda, when I held the hand of a young mother. She was 21 years old. Uh, she died of AIDS, and then I looked directly into the eyes of four you know, brand new, totally bewildered orphans, and mm. uh, my heart just broke. It just, it, it just absolutely uh, broke, and it got personal. And I, I actually came back from that trip, changed from the perspective of uh, wanting to repay Africa to do something, do whatever I could to help, to help the people that I'd seen because. We often feel sorry for Africans when, in fact, they don't want our pity. They just need some help. So you were instantly mo- uh, motivated, and you couldn't wait to go back? Is that fair? Uh, no. Okay. No intention of going back. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I raised some money. We are going to build some wind pumps. And a friend of mine from Southern California, we were in Cannes, France, and 
I told him about what we were doing. He said, well, I'm willing to invest in these wind pumps, help you that way, but you need to take me. You need to take me. I said, no, no deal. I'm, okay. not, I'm not going back. I wasn't planning on it. But a guy had a different plan. So we went back, took a group of local and national business guys over there and, and started going each year. And they were on board right away as well? Did they find? Oh, actually, my plan, my plan was my plan was if I could get seven kind of mover shaker types yeah. to go with me, and then each of them got seven to go with them, that we would have <laughs> Africa fixed. And, yeah, you know, like Sounds five like years we moved to a, move move to another <laughs> continent. But it, the most fascinating thing about that is every single person I've ever taken to Africa has had a very similar life changing experience, and with the exception of one, none of them was called to Africa. So my, my little my little plot didn't work so well. Uh, but my business partner went, Jeff Bird started Hope Academy, all mm-hmm. sorts of really wonderful things came as a result of various people's experience of of meeting God in a very far away place. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you and your pastor say to each other after that experience, that first one? Because you you pretty much gave him the Heisman, didn't you? Kind of put the, the hand up saying, I'm not really willing to go. Right. Well, and he'd confirmed me when I was 15. Right. He so, was 33. Right. And I was I was a troublemaker. I was for sure the worst confirmation student he'd ever had. Mm-hmm. And when we got back, he's actually, he denies it, but it's true. He's he's referred to me as a ministerial long shot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um, I, I want to get into your book a little bit because it's a fascinating read and and I want to start, if you don't mind, Ward, with just some of the the ways in which you have battled some of your own personal health issues. Because I think when we try to, uh, when we start serving the Lord, we start to look for ways to to um, bring his truth to the world. Uh, there's always seems to be challenges and obstacles. And for you, you struggled with some health issues. I struggled with some real serious health issues with my wife, Chris, who yeah. was diagnosed with terminal cancer. <clears throat> the Mayo Clinic gave her uh, less than a couple months to I, live. I remember that, yeah. getting that news. And <clears throat> it really calls the question, is all this stuff that we talk about Jesus, is it true? Uh, not intellectually true. Is it so true that you're actually willing to trust trust your life with it? <clears throat> and I saw in Chris the answer was... Uh, Absolutely, yes. So for her, um, facing her own death, I mean, there must have been the the rubber meets the road kind of moment where, all right, Lord, this is what is on the line, and this is what I'm trusting for. Well, we saw saw when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter, Mm -hmm. uh, not only... Not only our immediate family, everyone who knows Chris and came to see her saw the same thing. She was comforting people. She really exhibited uh, total peace. And uh, unlike her normal personality, which would be to hop on the Internet, I mean, absolutely, this was her worst fear for her entire life. Her mother died at 51 of of cancer. Uh, Now she's reliving this nightmare herself. Mm -hmm. And uh, in response to the question, uh, you're in, you know, you're going to give it the fight of your life. She said, I'm not going to fight it at all. I'm going to surrender to this situation, put it in God's hands. And it was it was really an amazing, amazing witness. Mm. I've got Ward Bremen studio. We're chatting uh, about his book, Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with more in just a minute. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the show. I have Ward Brem in studio. Ward and I have been friends for a long time. He's written a book called Bigger Than Me, just when I thought I had all the answers. God changed the questions. And right before break, uh, Ward, we were chatting about your wife's journey, where she was pretty much given the uh, you're at the end of your life uh, sentence. And uh, her response was, I'm going to surrender this instead Mm -hmm. of fight it. I'm just going to let God be in control. How long ago was that diagnosis? That was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And uh, how is she doing? Fine. <laughs> she's, she's, yeah. she's doing really well. Yeah. Uh, we'll never forget that. We'll never forget that experience. Um, Do you I'd speak say, more about that word? Because that is such a big deal for listeners. Because everyone, I think, listening today is, is fighting something with a friend or relative or themselves. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that I've come to learn. You know, misery loves company, but the fact of the matter is we all have huge problems. We just don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. So, so often, particularly in the social media, everybody's life appears to be going fantastic. Uh, it's not like 50% or 75%. It's 100% of people have really big issues, huge issues uh, in their lives. And my mentor, Monty Scholen, always used to tell me, whatever you do, don't, don't ever forget the privilege of your problem. And when he said that, it, it didn't make any sense to me. How about not having the problem? <laughs> yeah. He said, well, that's that works impossible. better for me. <laughs> works better for everybody, but we do have problems. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that's, that is very, very true. So what was the privilege of the problem is what you can learn from it. Uh, and I've come to realize that, that indeed, often in retrospect, sometimes years later, that privilege is, becomes very, very apparent. Uh, for me, the privilege was a deep, deep humbling. I was humbled when I went to Africa by what I saw. I was deeply humbled by being in a situation where I had absolutely no control. There was there was nothing I could do to fix it. There was nothing I could do uh, to help it. Uh, and it was enormously frustrating, particularly for someone used to in business being able to make things happen mm-hmm. and be able to orchestrate outcomes uh, and simply wasn't able to. And was really forced into a position of trust. You know, the question I'm asked more than any other by my African friends is, so what do you pray for? And the first time they asked me that, I looked at them kind of funny. And then they added, you've got everything. You've got health care. You've got houses. You've got water. Your kids have education. Everything that we pray for, you already have. Mm -hmm. And the reality of that, as it started to sink in, it made me realize that with the abundance of the good life, quote unquote, in in America, what do we need God, what do we need God for? What do we really rely on God for? So the privilege of these big problems is we need God. It's often these rogue events in life, divorce, business failure, uh, death, uh, divorce, these, these, these big rogue events that pop into our lives that force us to our knees. And the privilege being is that's where we should have been the whole time. Mm-hmm. So do you think that we're spending uh, more time trying to get our problems solved, or are we trying to spend more time bringing glory to God's name through the problems that we have? 
Well, I'd like to say the latter. I would like to say that as well. <laughs> but the reality is uh, that's very difficult to do because instinctively we want to solve the problem. Uh, I've personally stopped praying for outcomes. Uh, you know, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, that has now become a prominent part of my prayers. Uh, I didn't want Chris to die, and I really prayed that she wouldn't die, and she didn't. But I really prayed that my best friend's wife wouldn't die, and she did. Mm-hmm. And I love Rick Warren, who has a list of things he's going to ask God when he goes to heaven. Uh, and that's certainly one of them, is is why were we the recipients of a miracle and so many others on it? Mm-hmm. How do you process that with other people? I mean, the grace really poured into your life, and Chris is still with you. And how amazing is that, given her diagnosis of, you know, a couple of weeks to a month, maybe? Well, it 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 really, again, it, it forces an emotion uh, that to me is the most important one of all, particularly as we, as we walk as people of faith, and that's gratitude. Uh, we've been married now, we'll be married 42 years later this, or 40 years later this month, our 40th anniversary that we never thought we were going to have. Um, as Chris puts it, she's living in overtime. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's bonus. It's, a, it's all a bonus. And actually, that's true for all of us particularly our generation, that none of us think we're going to die. Everybody thinks they're going to live forever. I've got 80-year-old people that are just absolutely beside themselves because their friend died of a stroke. (laughs) They're 80 years old. The young people in the audience are are probably identifying with what I'm saying, is that we are going to die. Mm -hmm. And uh, the gift of that problem uh, was that we recognized that, faced it, trusted Jesus, and... Even though the outcome was it was going to be extraordinarily bad, everything was going to be okay. It was it was it was really living living proof of God's presence and 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 the peace that that accompanies that. Mm-hmm. All right, now I want to back up and ask you: When your African friends asked you what you pray for, what did you answer them? I kind of stumbled around. I said, well, what do you mean? You know, yeah, they, yeah. they said, well, I'm trying to buy some time. They said, I'm sorry. You know, perhaps my, my accent, my, my dialect is yes, not so yes, good. Yes. I knew exactly what you they heard were them saying. the first time. <clears throat> but uh, it was illustrated to me about a picnic that we had. I had one of my African friends, a guy I took the white man walking walk with years ago uh, to our house. He'd never been to the United States. And we prepared this all-American picnic. Hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken ribs. We did the whole. We just did the whole thing. Absolutely fantastic. A great sampler thing. And he, uh, we sat down at the table, and he asked our family this question: "What? Why do you want to go to heaven?" And we all just kind of stared at him, and he said, uh, "Perhaps my English not so good. Why do you want to go to heaven?" And I said, well, John, were you going to say grace? Or He said, no, I just asked a question. Let me rephrase it. So he turned to uh, my daughter, Sarah, who was five at the time, and said, Sarah, have you ever been hungry? She said, yes, I'm hungry right now. And he said, no, no, I mean really, really, really hungry. And she said, I'm really hungry right now. (laughs) He goes, let me rephrase. Sarah, have you ever had a day in your life where you were afraid that you weren't going to have enough to eat. And, you know, her little blue eyes, she said no. And he said, well, if, for me and my people, that would be heaven. 
And that, that spoke volumes into all of our lives. So when he, um, he, he was, I'm just curious as to what that experience was like for him, first of all, just to come to your home. My, my favorite was, I said, so, John, you've been in the U.S. now a total of two days. What's your biggest impression? He said, doors. Doors. I said, doors. He goes, so many doors. <laughs> he goes, you know, and some of these doors, they open this way, and some of these doors, they open that way, and some of these doors just open. Wow. <laughs> the first electronic door at the airport that opened, he, he thought it was a witch. I mean, he just completely freaked out. Uh, but he saw, <clears throat> he, he, he also, uh, his second biggest impression was when we went to church. It was the day of a Vikings game. And about 10 minutes early, people started leaving the church. And he's going, where are they going? Church service in Africa can be up to five hours long. Mm-hmm. He's going, where are they going? <laughs> I told him that they were going to a football game. They're going he to could, the other church. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. 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 A lot to learn. Yeah. It is always a, a perspective that we, we can only get from people like your friends mm-hmm. coming over from Africa. Um, our spirit of gratitude it can be a little dulled um, and, until you meet someone that is wondering if they're going to be able to eat for the day. Right. You know, and then to get asked about why do you want to go to heaven? Another great question. Well, you know, as we say, everybody wants to go. Nobody wants to die, but everybody wants to go to heaven. Right. And, uh, and that is a, uh, the, the reality is, is that we're all on that road. You know, it's a, it's a, the, the mortality rate's a hundred percent. So, yeah. so in the, in the words of my African friend, you better get ready. <laughs> <laughs> we will do that. We're going to take a little break, and we come back uh, lots more with Ward Brem. He's written a book called Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. Nice little forward by Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. And if you uh, would like to get in the drawing, I've got a couple of books, uh, compliments of Ward, that he would uh, like to make available to someone to receive. So if you want to uh, get your hands on one of these books, email me, bill at myfaithradio.com and just put the word bigger in the subject line and I'll put your name in the drawing and I'll do the drawing later on today and let you know who the winners are. So make sure when you send your email that you put your name and address. So if you do win, I'll know right where to send it. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back with lots more. the show. So glad to be hosting Ward Bremen studio today. He's uh, written a book called Bigger Than Me, just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. And Ward, if I can get back to uh, some of the uh, questions I had earlier, because when I asked you about some of the health issues you've gone through personally, we started uh, talking about your wife. And now I do kind of want to get back to you, if you don't mind, because um, I know you've said this this felt a little bit like a a Job-like experience almost. Yeah, starting about uh, eight years ago, I uh, went down to Mayo Clinic, was diagnosed with some, with a very rare form of 
uh, blood cancer uh, that was indolent, one of my favorite words in the English language, meaning it wasn't really doing anything, but it was there. Okay. Uh, a year later, was <clears throat> diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic, which reinforces most people's beliefs that I'm still a juvenile <laughs> because it's very <laughs> unusual for an adult to, to get that. And I've had uh, uh, really just literally a string, a, a, a string of things that, that, that left me, leaves me l- with a compromised life expectancy. Uh-huh. And uh, the privilege of that problem was <clears throat> when I asked the hematologist that's become a good friend of mine, that you know, kind of John Wayne question. So, how long do I, how long do I have, Doc? Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, I have no idea. You know, you could, I'm not God. You could hit, be hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I put a gun to your dog's head and want the over under, what would it be? And he said, ten years. Okay. Um, and I started thinking about that, and I, I was 60 years old, so I'm thinking, well, ten years that gets me to 70. Yeah, uh, that's, that's okay. You know, more than that would be a bonus, just like Chris. Mm-hmm. Less than that, yeah, really, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but I was kind of contemplating it. And then I asked the bigger question, <clears throat> what if I knew that? God doesn't tell us. But what if he did? What if he just said, I don't, I normally don't do this, but I'm going to tell you, you've got 10 years left. Mm. <clears throat> would it change my life? And the answer was, of course. And then the next question was, how? Much much more difficult question. So I actually started writing out what I was, I was really pretty proud of. It was my 10-year plan. So if I knew that I had 10 years to live, what would I do with the intention of following that 10-year plan once I'd finished? And one of my mentors, Doug Cole in Washington, D.C., I I called him and told him about the situation. He said, you need to get out here immediately. Asked for the plan. I gave it to him. He tore it into pieces. (laughs) He said, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. You need a 10-year plan like a hole in the head. What you need is a three-day plan. What would you do if you had three days to live? And whatever the answer to that is, do it for the rest of your life. Uh, and again, a lot of, a lot of wisdom uh, in that. Um, uh, that was six years ago. And I, I was just at my hematologist's office, and I told him, you know, actuarially, I made it six years, so it's, it's not 10 anymore. So he gave me a he gave me a fresh set of ten. <laughs> so I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Well, I knew I knew of Doug Coe. I never met him, but I I did know his legacy and what a mentor to mm-hmm. have him on you know on wow. your side and on your team. And I'd love to hear more about. Uh, I mean, you you literally show up with a, a document, six eight pages of what you're going to do in the next ten years, and he rips it up in front of you. Yeah. I hope he had a backup copy just in case. You know, I did. Although, actually, I haven't looked at it. Okay. I fo- I, 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 di- I actually followed his advice, and what what occurred to me is that if I had three days to live, <clears throat> I would number one quit my job. I, 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 I wouldn't. It's a business that I founded. I, w- I wouldn't go back to work, mm-hmm. and I'd probably call my kids and gather them around me and spend the whole, entire three days just trying to impart whatever wisdom I might have on subjects that are important to me. And that was actually the beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. And Doug lost his son to brain cancer, um, must have been 30 years ago. Yeah, which, again, the privilege of, of that uh, problem uh, being really having to lean <clears throat> in response to the question, what do, you, what do you need Jesus for? It's times like that that bring you ever closer uh, 
And Doug had an amazing impact on my life, really highlighting the difference between following Jesus and following a religion. You know, Ward, when you when you say, what do you need Jesus for? I mean, it's going to be interesting how people might respond to that question. I mean, I'm real curious as to let listeners chime in right now. Obviously, most would say I need him for everything. But the way in which we sometimes petition God, I wonder if we're really seeking his glory or if we're looking for ways to get our little problems solved. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying our problems are little. Our problems are significant. Well, it comes down to that little sentence, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Do we mm-hmm. believe it? I mean, do we do we trust Jesus enough to actually believe thy will be done, not my will? And when prayers are answered the way that I ask them to be, I'm hugely grateful. But does that mean I should be angry when they're not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes when you try to solve a problem for somebody, you I sometimes wonder if we're getting in the way of what God wanted to do in their life because we're trying to step in and help. Um, I just had that thought driving home last mm-hmm. night because, you know, as men, we oftentimes want to be problem solvers and help people out and come to the rescue and save the day. And you st- I sometimes wonder, what am I doing? How am I, my, how might I be interfering with what God wanted to do? Yeah. No, and I, <clears throat> I think that's true. And I think trying to solve somebody's problem, particularly an unsolvable problem, is just adding to the burden. You know, people that are grieving, people that are in situations of tremendous need, what they need more than anything is just our presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need they don't need a lot of words. They just need to know that they're loved and supported. Mm-hmm. Ward, I'd love for you to talk about the legacy of your dad. <laughs> well, I had a great dad. Uh, he died when he was sixty-seven, which is a I, I, I passed him up last year, so nice. I'm really happy about that. <clears throat> that was a big milestone for me, actually. He was a wonderful man, and I, my entire life, up until really the last few years, I assumed everybody had a great dad, uh, and that's simply not the case. But I, I, I grew up <clears throat> with parents in a home that resembled, you know, Ozzie and Harriet, for all those older listeners that remember who Ozzie and Harriet were, uh, but it was a storybook. I was loved unconditionally. Uh, our family loved each other, still do, and... Uh, and I've come to realize that uh, a lot of people don't have that experience. So I was kind of curious as to as to why that chapter actually made the final copy of the book. You know, who's interested in my dad? And the answer, not many people, but everybody's interested in their own and their own experience, good or bad. It's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they say that you view God the same way that you view your father. And I've seen some truth in that, you know, judgment and anger and conditions versus versus unconditional love and support and grace. Mm-hmm. So when you were in your business phase of life, when you were just going at it and working hard and succeeding on all levels, were you interested in your faith at that point or were you uh, going to church, mailing it in? Mm. How engaged were you? You know, it's interesting because up to that point, if you'd have asked me uh, if I, what religion I am, I'd say I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And then if you said, well, so tell me about your relationship with Jesus. I would have said, well, I'm not one of those like weird ones. <laughs> I'm not yeah. like one of those crazy people. But uh, no, I, you know, I mean, I go to church on Easter and, you know, and I've come to realize <clears throat> that uh, how commonplace it is for people to be cultural Christians. There really, there, 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 there really isn't anything to it other than the fact it's like I'm from German descent. You know, I was brought up in a, in a Christian home and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. There's a tremendous difference 
between a cultural Christian and someone who is actually following or trying to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree completely. A lot of people vote yes for Jesus, but they don't really know him personally or follow follow him. They just kind of wave the flag that says I'm a I'm a Christian, a cultural Christian. Right, and you know I have to remind people that you know Jesus wasn't a Republican, he wasn't a Democrat, he, Jesus wasn't an American. You know he was Jewish, and <clears throat> that point was really driven home by a fascinating story that Doug that changed Doug Coe's life. Yeah, uh, he was in Tibet and uh, was on this camping mission in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and around a campfire in this fog came these two shepherds right up to their their cooking fire and said, we've come a long distance to get a word from you. And it stunned him. I mean, he's this young evangelical guy from <laughs> Oregon, and uh, he didn't know what to do. He was speechless. And those of, anybody who knows Doug Coe knows that he's never speechless. He didn't know what to say, so he started reciting every sheep story that he could come up with in the Bible. He said, these guys are shepherds, so he's talking about the lost sheep and Jesus saving the sheep. And and they, at the end, he ran out of sheep stories and they walked away. And he was horribly convicted that night. He said, these guys actually came wanting a word from me, and I never asked them. I never asked for the order. I never told them about Jesus. I never asked, I never, I ne- I never asked them to make the commitment. I didn't do any of the things I'm supposed to do. And the next morning they came back and same cooking fire and out of the fog, these two guys come and they say, we want you to know, uh, we've been thinking about what you said all night long. We've been discussing it among ourselves all night long. We have two things that are really important that we want you uh, to know. And the first is we've decided to follow this Jesus. And he's just stunned because he's never asked him. He never asked for the order. He said, the second thing is, we've always known him. We just didn't know his name. Wow. And that was <clears throat> that was a powerful, really physical demonstration of the difference between following a religion and just the, 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 the Jesus, this mysterious, huge Jesus uh, that covers the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get back to 50 trips to Africa, and I want to... Um, I would love to hear some stories that were sort of life-changing for you. Um, Because 50 trips is a lot of trips. Yeah, and they actually, it actually, uh, the the calling changed. At first we were building wind pumps, and and then I started taking political leaders over there. I took took a number of uh, senators and judges and people of influence because in response... Uh, again, getting back to, to my mentor, Doug, he asked me one day, he said, if you were God, how would you help all those poor, wretched people over there in Africa? Yeah, my mind went completely blank, totally blank, like mm-hmm. a piece of paper blank. I'm, I can't imagine the expression on my face, but I kind of just stumbled. I said, I you know, I'm not God. I don't know. And he said, well, we're not in any hurry. Think about it. And my mind continued to be blank, and he asked me two or three times, and I finally got mad at him. And I said, look, I don't know. I'm not God. You, What would you do? And he said, I'd change the hearts of the leaders. And the the wisdom of that, if you change the hearts of the, of the leaders in Africa, if you have leaders with good hearts, you can you can turn a, a nation around in a few years, you know, not decades, not, not centuries, just mm. 
Rwanda is a perfect example of a country that was totally demolished and is now really a perfect example of of good governance and and what a, and, and how it, how it should work. Yeah. We'll take a little break. We'll come back more with Ward Brem, his book, Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. We'll be back in 90 seconds. show ward brems in my studio loving our conversation about his uh his ministry and what he has done in his career and then he has uh, spent uh, a lot of time in africa 50 trips as a matter of fact and i'm just so intrigued by that because that is such a uh, um it's so not america <laughs> and when you start to reach people for the lord they, they all have uh, they all come from a different uh place a different way of life a different everything so their their questions are going to be maybe different from what you're going to hear in the U.S. And I'd love to hear more about the questions that they're asking. Well, in in addition to, you know, what do you need God for? uh, I'd say say I have more questions of them than they do of me. And the biggest question that I have... was how can these people exhibit such grace and gracefulness? And happiness is too condescending a word. Uh, joy is mm-hmm. a better one. When they're living conditions that many of us would jump off a bridge if we found ourselves living in. And it was, it took it took 20 years to figure out it was a direct, it's because they're directly attached to God. They're totally dependent on, on God. Jesus said the the poor will inherit the kingdom of heaven, and I've seen it. The, the the faith of these people is tremendous. Uh, my driving uh, calling was to try to help these people. And people say, "How do you? Help? What's the best way to help the poor mm. in Africa? The best way is to help not be poor anymore." And I've come to realize over twenty five years uh, of dedicated effort, most of those efforts that have been made, virtually all of them, including my own, haven't worked. So. Uh, the idea of <clears throat> giving people a fish uh, versus teaching them to fish, I've gone a, a step further and say that you need to own the pond. Uh, it, it just hasn't worked. So, Bill, if I, <clears throat> if if you were to if you were to call World Vision or any any nonprofit organization that serves the poor in Africa and ask the question, how much money do you need? The answer is always more. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up question is, and how long do you need it for? The question, the answer is always forever. So I shouldn't be amazed that there is this compassion fatigue, this donor fatigue, when those answers to those questions are, and then you say, well, what results do you have to show for it? And you say, well, not a whole lot. So I've spent the last five years really trying to innovate some new and different ways of looking at that and we're having some fun in Eastern Congo in particular. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're spending a good deal of your time when you go there is to Eastern Congo? Yep. Yeah, I was there about <clears throat> six years ago and uh, had my heart absolutely shattered. I've, I've seen some very, very tough situations uh, 
over the course of the last 30 years. But this this was beyond tough. Can you uh, give us a sample? The uh, former vice president of the country asked me, I was in Rwanda, and he asked me to meet him at the border. He'd take me into Goma. At this time, it was, it was very dangerous. I said, no, I, I'm, I have to draw the line. I can't do it. This M23, these roving militia rebels, uh, everybody had fled the country. There was there were no UN. There was no presence. And <clears throat> he finally talked me into it. He met me at the border, had a, had a military escort, uh, arranged and uh we took a we took a lap around uh goma and saw things that were i'll I'll sum it up this way there there were camps supposedly refugee camps uh that were fenced in the people enormously grateful to be outside of the immediate danger of these roving militias where the women and young girls had no clothes They they had no clothing they're naked and uh, Bob Pierce, who founded World Vision, used to say, let our hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And for me, it changed that a little bit. Let, we should really be angry about the things that make God angry. And little girls as young as 8 and 10 years old, you know, gang rape, uh, sexual violence, I mean, all this incredible poverty. And on top of that, uh, sexual uh Violence, uh, political violence, mayhem, uh, genocide. I mean, it was like it was like I'd I'd been to hell and back. Mm. That one hurt. Uh, that does hurt. I mean, I came back with nightmares. I I called Daniel Woodsworth, who's the head of the American Refugee Committee now now rebranded Alight, mm. uh, who's uh, become a wonderful friend and and he immediately agreed to to partner with some new ways of doing it as i said th- this idea of aid and as soon as, as and, and as soon as everything blows up all the white trucks are gone and even when they're there people aren't treated with the dignity and respect that they deserve how do, how do we change the paradigm how do we change how do we change that and it occurred to me to just give them the money instead of you know pouring money into USAID our government foreign relief and then doling it out among organizations. Why not just give the money to the people themselves on the forms of a credit card or cell phone and give them the wherewithal where now they have at least the dignity and respect to buy water, to be able to buy medical care. Uh, So that was the original premise, and what we discovered uh, was that people are already paying, but they're paying for filthy water and they're paying for substandard uh, medical care, often drugs... uh, no longer in stock, kids dying from malaria, you know, 50-cent cure, mm. and they're out of drugs. I mean, it's really, really, really bad. So why not set up a Walgreens-type a franchise where you actually have a for-profit platform, use the same delivery system that you and I use to get our drugs and to get our clean water. And uh, it's we never thought it would work, and with God's blessing, it actually it, it, it is actually working. People are paying for Water. They are paying for medical care. Uh, our standard was the water has to be good enough for us to drink. If you've if you've ever been to Africa, if you're ever going the, in the headlines, is don't drink the water. And we drink if if if, if the water is not good enough for us to drink, it's not good enough. If the clinic's not good enough for our grandkids to go to, not good enough. So we set a very very high bar for the services. Uh, with the idea that people would be willing to make sacrifices in order to 
in order to be able to have access. Uh, and it's worked beyond anybody's belief, including USAID. We're partners with them. They, they, <clears throat> they put half the money in for our experiment. We put in the other half. And they just, uh, <clears throat> they just uh, suggested that we do a part two on a much larger scale. So uh, it's fascinating. Wow, that is fascinating. So part two is, is in the offing hmm. right now? Yeah, we're, we're in the process of uh, building this out to scale, business scale. We've got four of these zones. Each zone serves about 20,000, 25,000 people. We have four that are built. We know that if we get 10 built, we'll have scale to be able to also cover the overhead of uh, uh, U.S. overhead that, that right now we have to throw in the pot. We couldn't make the business model work. We just couldn't make it work. Mm-hmm. And we finally came up with the idea of uh, taking the capital expenses and the first year, first three or four year operating expenses off the books uh, to see if that would work then to provide a local entrepreneur who could then buy the operating rights to this franchise that delivers uh, water and medicine and make a living from it. Mm-hmm. And we need 10 of those. So we're in, we've got four built, and we're in the process of building six more. That's amazing. That's really, really, really cool. Great story. Um, what you described earlier, though, just uh, the, the danger these people were in and then the extreme lack of clean water, medicine, clothing, all that. I understand that the heartbreak must just be unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and it's very, very difficult for people back here uh, – to empathize with, and I fully understand that. When you hear the statistics of the number of uh, <clears throat> the number of rapes in Eastern Congo, I mean, what do you do with what do you do with that? I mean, what do you even do with that information once you, once you know it? And it's on a scale that is so uh, horrific that it is it's really difficult to contemplate. Um, f- for me, I'm an eyewitness. I mean, I've seen it, mm-hmm. and ever since that first trip to Africa, I realized that. My, I got the greatest, the privilege of your problem, the greatest gift you could ever get is to, is to have an absolutely crystal clear idea of what God's purpose is for your life. Um, and my purpose, there isn't any question, I kept thinking it was going to change because it was so bizarre, is to help people uh, living in extreme poverty in Africa. It, 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 it's that clear. And when you look at the extreme poor, they have no voice. Uh, Proverbs, uh, 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 what's the proverb? Help me with the with the the good wife. It's the beginning of that one. I think that's Proverbs uh, thirty one. I'd probably eight, verses eight and nine. But it says, "Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy." Um, and you realize that they can't speak up for themselves. They have no voice. They have no power. So that when a mother loses their daughter of a curable disease and is waving her hands in despair, that despair is exactly the same as you or I if our daughter died. It's no different. Uh, the difference is nobody hears their voices. Nobody hears their cries of anguish. And nobody does anything about the great injustice that caused it to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's been a huge privilege to be able to, to, to know what I'm supposed to be up to. Yeah, and, uh, which answers the question, the original one I asked at the beginning of the hour. And we're just, we just have about a minute left, so I'm, I'm real curious. It seems that your life is, you've really understood this idea of thy will be done. I mean, because you, you're dealing with things that 
there's no way you can control. Right. You know, you, health issues with you, your wife, and then go to Africa and you try to save a nation. Well, it's, it's a, a very easy to say, right? Yeah. So, yeah, sure. You know, God, thy will be done. Right. And the second I say it, I'm saying, but actually, if you did it my way, it would probably be better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just human nature. Yeah, and, totally. And the, and, and the older I get, the, the more lenience I grant to myself to, because it's the, the idea of, of really embracing 100% of the time, thy will be done. If we all did, it would be a wonderful world, but it's it, tough. Yeah, that wraps up our hour with Ward Brem, his book, Bigger Than Me. Just when I thought I had all the answers, God changed the questions. If you want to get in the drawing, uh, let me know. Write bigger in the subject line and then make sure you put your name and address. Email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Thanks to all my guests for the day. That wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone. When you lay your head on the pillow, just know God's working out his great, great plan in your life. God bless. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.